So I've done some hiring in my life uh, where you, you, you uh, launch a search process, you get the resumes, you boil them down, you do some interviews. And even right now, our church is in the process of trying to hire a church secretary. And in that process, you do a lot of things to try to figure out who these people really are because they can tell you one thing, but maybe they're going to show you another thing. You know one place where you can go look and see what people show you? Yeah, their Facebook page. That's right. And I'm not the only one that's ever done that. This is a common practice in the business world to leverage someone's Facebook page to find out who they really are. Not just in hiring, but like even, even current employees are being monitored. I just looked, just searched here this week to see like how prevalent is the practice. Here's what I found in one article. I'm going to read you this quote right at the front of the article. According to a 2018 career builder survey, 70% of employers use social media to screen candidates during the hiring process, and about 43% of the employers use social media to check on current employees. Here's what one quote uh, from a PR expert. Because we tend to view our personal social media, uh, to view our personal social media accounts as being, here it comes, personal, there's a good chance that by viewing someone's profile, you'll get a glimpse into their personality beyond the resume, said this one person, founder of Dark Horse PR. That's something. See, that's, that's the difference between Telling someone what you want them to see and then showing them something else. And that's what I want to lean in into this morning. I want to lean into watching what Jesus does, what happens when people encounter him, rather than just listening to what Jesus teaches. Now, I'm a big fan of what Jesus teaches. Don't get me wrong. But I want to watch what happens. I want to see what's there when people actually meet this man. What's the result? We know what Jesus teaches, and we could study it for the rest of the year. But let's go look at what happens. That's what we want to lean into. We're in the second week of a sermon series called Snapshots. And what we're doing is we're leaning into this metaphor of pictures, using the Bible as a photo album. And what we want to do is we just want to flip through the Bible and we want to just look at different sections and look at pictures of generosity. Maybe that's going to teach us something. Today we're going to flip to that part of the photo album we call the Gospel According to Luke. We're going to look at three different snapshots in that Gospel. I think it's going to teach us something. Because here we're not just looking at what Jesus taught. We're going to look at what happened when Jesus encountered someone. That's what we want to see. And then maybe learn something about generosity for our own lives. All right. So we turn then, we turn in the photo album. I've already turned there. We're going to look at this first snapshot, Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, we start with verse 27. Here's the first picture we come to in this part of the photo album. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm in the wrong verse. You're like, this is not matching. That's right, it's not matching. <laughs> I'm sure we could have found some really great application there. But let's go to the part I really wanted. Verse 27. 
I even marked it in my Bible too. This is what happens when you look at a photo album. Sometimes you get distracted, right? We'll, we'll just say that's what happened. All right, verse 27. After this, Jesus went out and he saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And, and Levi got up. He left everything and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus in his house. And a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. That's the first picture. Now, in this picture, I want to notice something, uh, really three things that I think we might see repeated in each picture. Here it is. Just take a look. This is what we see. We see an unexpected character, encounter, and result. That's what I'm seeing here. So we wouldn't expect a prolific rabbi, one that's growing in popularity in the area of Palestine at this time, to connect himself with a tax collector. Tax collectors were very unpopular at this time. One commentary summarizes it in just a few sentences, better than I could in many. Here's what one commentary, commentary says about tax collectors. The Romans leased out the right to collect taxes to individuals. They contracted that out. Who then took a surcharge for their own expenses. Tax collectors were despised in Israel, not only because of their reputation for extortion, but also for their complicity with the hated Romans. Levi would have been one of these tax collectors. Now, he wouldn't have been a chief tax collector. He would have been on the lower rung of, of the hierarchy. But he would have been contracted with the Roman officials to gather in taxes. And if, let's say, $10, $10 out of 100 was called for in a tax, Levi might take $20 and pocket another 10 This still happens around the world. There is, a, there is a global system of bribery that's in place in many countries. Well, here, this is the same thing going on. And those in Israel would have hated people like this. Because Levi was a Jew. But he's a Jew that was complicit with the system that was keeping them oppressed. And here is a prominent religious leader growing in popularity, obviously having conflict with the other religious leaders. And what does he do? He calls that one to follow him. I'm going to have him be one of my closest associates. That just sounds ridiculous. That's like us as a church if we said we need to go find the best drunkard in town and we need to bring him on staff as our next associate pastor. Wouldn't that be crazy? Like, if we're honest, when I say that, immediately something inside of you says, we want to save him, but I'm not sure he needs to be our pastor. That's what's happening when Jesus calls this unexpected character. And then he says, I want you to follow me. And then what happens? Did you see the unexpected result? Not only does Levi, does he, what happens? He leaves everything. There's some type of about turn here. And then what does he do? He goes and throws a party. And who does he invite to the party? A bunch of more unpopular people. And Jesus goes, and you can see what happens. The religious leaders, they don't like everything that's happening. What strikes me is when I look at that picture long enough, it's not just that he left everything. It's not even just that he threw a party. 
You know what it takes to throw a party? Resources. You ever thrown a kid's birthday party? Yeah, that'll, that'll dig into your pocketbook, you throw a kid's birthday party. And if you go to a kid's birthday party, it's going to dig into your pocket because you've got to bring a gift or you're going to be rude. Birthdays, parties, they cost money. And the higher up you go in the party scale, the more expensive they become. You ever paid for a, a wedding dinner, a, a dinner, a reception? Yeah, now we're talking big money. I haven't done that yet. I'm, I'm projecting into the future here. We're talking about big money. But what does it mean when you give all that money away? You give that money so people have a good time. You see what Levi did? A man who would have been greedy for years, pocketing money for his own gain, he now gave away all that money so people could come meet Jesus. Let's summarize that encounter this way. This is the way I'd summarize this picture. Levi doesn't sell everything or stash away money into a savings account. He throws a party, gives away his resources so his friends can meet Jesus. That's what I want to say. That's generosity. It's generosity when you give away everything. You give away your resources so people can come to see Jesus. That's generosity. It's kind of hidden right there under the surface, isn't it? An unexpected result. All right, so that's the first one, first snapshot. Let's go to the second one. So literally, I just want to kind of turn. I'm just turning in the photo album. And we come then to chapter 8, verse 1 through 3. We read these verses, verses that we may, may have never noticed. Verse, chapter 8, verse 1. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. Now the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases, Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Shusa, and the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. When I look at that picture immediately, what pops are those three words we had up on that previous screen. Take a look. Again, I'm seeing this. I'm seeing an unexpected character, really characters here. Unexpected encounter and an unexpected result. If you're a prominent religious figure, if you're one that is growing in popularity, if you're one who is gaining influence, you don't pick a group of women to follow you. You grab influential men. You grab people with means. And you go on your journey. And here we see, along with the twelve, the twelve being the most prominent of them, we know others followed him, but here the twelve are mentioned. And right next to the twelve is not another group of men. It's a group of women. A group of women who have lots of money? Well, maybe, but what, how, do they, how are they described? They're described as women who have been cured of evil spirits and diseases. This is a group of women, particularly Mary Magdalene, who at some point came into contact with Jesus. She was healed. Some say Mary Magdalene was also a prostitute. We don't, we're not, but we know here Luke says she was, she was cured of seven demons. That's not the kind of character you'd expect. It's definitely not the kind of encounter you would expect. And yet here we have these women cured, particularly Mary Magdalene. What do they do? What's the result? They support him. They give up whatever resources they, resources they have to support this man. 
Now, I don't want to over-spiritualize this. The fact that Jesus goes town to town preaching means he doesn't go with a trade. We know the Apostle Paul goes to different Roman cities and he starts working, starts doing some moonlighting to make money so then the churches he's starting don't have to support him. But here Jesus, his full-time job is preaching the good news of this kingdom that he in his body is bringing. So that means someone's got to support him and the twelve. The reason we don't over-spiritualize is is because you can't go into a town and say, let me give you a piece of wisdom and you give me bread. No, you give money for bread. Where did he get all that money? Where did he find lodging? How did he pay for these things? It's because people came around him and literally gave financially to the cause. And we see that of the one place Luke notes, who's giving the money? A group of women. A group of women. So when these women come into contact with Jesus, what emerges, not only is healing, but it is generosity that overflows. Now this is a word also to women. For as much as as modern people might say that the ancient world, or even followers of Jesus, were misogynistic, here we see that those early Christians are highlighting women. Women who supported him. In some circles in the Roman world, that would invalidate your ministry. Here, it is a sign that Jesus is doing something new. So I just say to women, never underestimate what you can do. Not only with your money, but with your life. Here, Luke is noting the money. But again, unexpected characters, an unexpected encounter, and then generosity. This unexpected result overflows. All right, third snapshot. We're going to turn a little farther in the photo book now. We're going now to chapter 19. I'm just moving all the way over to chapter 19, and we're going to look at the first 10 verses, last snapshot for the morning in this section of the photo album. Here it is. Verse 1, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. Oh, he He was a chief tax collector, and he was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead, and he climbed a sycamore tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. And when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this, and they began to mutter, He is gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up said to the Lord, Look, Lord. Here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. Because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. You know what I'm seeing here? Three words, again, right here. I see an unexpected character encounter and result, probably more so in this snapshot than any we've seen. This is a chief tax collector. And how did Zacchaeus get so wealthy? Well, we're not told here in the passage, but we know the way tax collecting worked. It worked the same way it did for Levi. But what happens with a chief tax collector is not only can you extort, can you gather money from the people, but you can gather it from your contracted workers too. So now, if we go back to Levi, Levi grabs an extra 10. 
He puts it in his pocket, but when he goes back to the chief tax collector, he's got to pull out three and give it to him. You see how the system works. It still works today in the underbelly of our economy in different ways. But here is a wealthy man who has treated people unjustly for a long time, and he goes to see Jesus. And then of all the people Jesus could call out, he calls the rich man. He calls the one who has hurt people for many years. He calls him and says, I'm coming to your house. And something happens. We don't know what happens, but we something happens in that meeting. Something happens around the table. And Zacchaeus says, I'm changing. I'm repenting. I, I'm going to give back everything I've stolen. I'm not just going to give it back one for one. Anything I've stolen, I'm giving back four times as much. So what I see is that when this man comes into contact with Jesus, when he comes into contact with Jesus, generosity overflows. And it has to do with the way he will treat money, finances, his resources. Let's summarize that this way. I think this is an important point we need to make. Zacchaeus doesn't say he'll be gen generous in general, does he? Rather, he makes a concrete commitment in front of Jesus to give back a specific amount. He doesn't stumble into generosity. He makes a commitment to it. He didn't just say, I'm going to be generous to everyone I've hurt. He says, I'm giving back four times as much. And that's important. Because that's specific. That's concrete. And that's something we need to learn from. All right, those are the three snapshots. Three snapshots I'm seeing as a walk through the Gospel of Luke, just quickly taking a look at what actually happens when someone comes into contact with Jesus, not just what Jesus teaches about generosity. Well, these are important for a lot of reasons, but they're also important because they give us a preview. They're a foreshadowing of what we will see when more people come into contact with Jesus after he comes back from the dead and the early church starts popping up around the Roman world, what we will see is some of these same themes begin to emerge in these churches. So I'll take a look at just, just a few of them. Now we've seen this last week. We saw this passage last week, but I'm a big fan of repetition as a good teacher. Look at 2 Corinthians 8. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 1 and 3. This is what Paul wrote to these Christians. He says, Now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God's given the Macedonian churches. This is a different group of churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overwhelming, overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity, for I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Again, again here, you're seeing that's those same themes we're seeing, we saw in those snapshots. These are unexpected characters to come to Jesus. When the message of Jesus goes into the Roman world, it's picking up a, a lot of people no one else would have cared about. And they're having a substantial encounter so that as a result, generosity overflows. So much so that these are people in trial, in, in poverty, and yet they overflow. They give even beyond their ability. Something special happens when you come and you meet Jesus. Not just in person, like we saw with Levi or the women or Zacchaeus, but even when the Spirit of God through the Word puts you in contact with the Son of God reigning now at the right hand of the Father. When you come into contact with Him, even now something happens. 
Well, there's also that piece about commitment. This isn't just some general generosity that emerges. It wasn't with Zacchaeus, and it's not going to be for the early Christians. I want you to just take a look. Two places where Paul writes to the Corinthians, and he's going to talk specifics. Something very similar like we saw with Zacchaeus. Take a look. We'll go with chapter 9. We're just going one chapter over in that letter, uh, that 2 Corinthian letter. Here's, here's what he writes. He says this, verse 6. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly, well, they're also going to reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously, well, they're also going to reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And then in his first letter, look at what he wrote, even more specific. 1 Corinthians 16, 1-3, he wrote, Now about the collection for the Lord's people. This is an offering that's going to be taken up and taken to Jerusalem to help Christians in Jerusalem that were struggling. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up, so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Then, when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. That's specific. That means I want you to give what you said you would give. Now, you decided what you would give. You give it, and you give it on this day so that you keep your commitment. Sounds very much like Zacchaeus saying, I'm going to pay back, and I'm going to pay back four times whatever I stole. There's something very important about commitment and generosity because if we play loose with generosity you know what happens you never actually become generous you like the idea but it never actually happens right all right well let's make some application let's like take that to the ground and get it into where we live today you're gonna have to start with this first question have i met jesus like that's the question i gotta ask myself now, I'm going to say I have met Jesus. So this is one I wasn't, this is one for maybe you more than me. Or maybe it's not for you, it's for someone else. But I feel like we got to have this one out here. Because we can know a lot about Jesus. We can sit in church and know about Jesus. We can, we can read the Bible, but we may have never met him. I know a lot about the presidents that have lived in my lifetime. I've never met one of them. I'm telling you, if I'd met a president, it would make a big difference on how I might view that president. Something would have changed. You see, the thing with Jesus is you and I can get real comfortable knowing about him. We need to know if we've met him. And so just that's the question on the table. And if anything stirs inside of you or anyone watching at home or listening that's like, I have never met him and I need to meet him. Well, that's probably the Holy Spirit doing a work because of the words being taught. And God is working through His Word so the Spirit can convict. And so I'd say do not delay if you're feeling anything. This is what happens when that first sermon was preached in Acts. They hear the whole sermon and then uh, Luke writes, they were cut to the heart and they cried out, what do we do? And Peter says, you repent. You turn it around. And you go get baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. So I can't do any better than that. So I'm just going to say, if anything, if anyone's stirring here, that's the call. Repent and be baptized. I'm just quoting here. 
just quoting. Feel like I, I could if it was if it was good for the first sermon, it's good enough for me. There's a cliche there, right? And there's some song about that. Okay, all right. If I tried it, I'd mess it up. So we're going to keep going. Here it is. This is the second question. This might really get all of us. Do I give away money generously, especially back to God? Now, I got an asterisk here. We got to make note because the snapshots show people being generous with money. Now, you and I know that generosity comes in a lot of different forms. Okay? Volunteering your time, having that long phone call with a friend in need, all of that is generosity. But the snapshots here, they were about money. You think the person that Zacchaeus stole from would have been would have been in a good mood if he came back and said, I'm so sorry. I want to pay you back. I'm going to throw you some good vibes. No. They didn't want good vibes. They wanted the money back that was stolen. That's what they wanted. You think Jesus would have been able to buy bread with good vibes and prayers? No. They needed money. So there's something concrete because Jesus came in a world where money matters. And so we need to ask ourselves, are we being generous with money? It's one thing to volunteer your time, but when someone steps into your checkbook, particularly God, that gets uncomfortable. So that's the call. That's the call, is to be specific with your generosity with money. Now, I will not compel you to anything. It is not my job to compel you. I will tell you what God's Word says, and we will move on. Because in the end, if you give with a stingy heart, we've missed the point. All right, now, let's make this personal. Last year, I brought Tess on stage, and we had a conversation. We won't do that every year. Maybe we should, but let's not do it. So I'm going to sit down. I'm going to sit down like we're having a conversation, like we're having coffee, all right, or whatever your beverage is. We're just having this moment. But I want to tell you what that question has meant for us over the last many years since we've been married. So we've been married 18 and a half years when we got married. I was working as a part-time youth minister at a church, and we were tithing. I mean, we were tithing. We were above tithing. We were going above 10%, and we were making very little money. We were both students in college. I was making little money doing this part-time youth ministry gig, but we gave. We didn't know any better. We just gave. We gave back a lot of money. I'll never forget one of the elders at that small little church in Knoxville. There was this moment where he came up to me, and he said, I don't, I don't think you know how impressed I am how much you give. I thought, we're just giving. Aren't we supposed to give? That's what you're supposed to do. Like you meet Jesus, you become a Christian, and you give. Well, it was only years later that I realized why that was such a big deal. You see, like most married people, we decided to have kids. And kids didn't come with a bank account attached to them. They cost money, lots of money, and daycare wasn't cheap. So that cost money, and doctors weren't giving out free health care, and that cost money. And we couldn't, we couldn't go weeks without feeding them, so that cost money. And they didn't come out potty trained, and that cost money. And we were spending lots of money on these kids. And for some reason, we had gotten a dog just before our first was born. And that thing didn't come with a bank account. You see the point. And you know what happened? We stopped giving. And right along the way, I was also moving more and more to the left. More and more liberal in my theological thinking. 
God's word was being questioned. I was doubting a lot of things. And I thought, well, maybe, maybe I have a little bit more authority than I thought. Maybe Paul didn't write these letters. Maybe the Bible isn't completely inspired. I was deep in higher education, and I thought I knew a lot more than I really did. So there was this, there was this spirit inside of me where I had it all together. I kind of knew better than God. And that, coupled with kids and more expenses in a house, and the giving dried up. Well, along the way, we, we, we accumulated a lot of consumer debt. Well, something happened in our life. We came to the brink of a divorce, largely because of me and my selfishness. I think we've told some of this story at, one, at some point when fitting. We'll tell you more of it. Uh, many of you already know that. But God turned it around inside of my heart. And I tell you that I had an encounter with Jesus, something that was more real than it ever had been before. I I knew he was calling me to go full-time into vocational ministry. I've been doing part-time at that point. And then at one point, I stopped because I was doing the PhD at the University of Tennessee. And so I was teaching there and doing all of my schooling. So I was only volunteering as a teacher during Sunday school. Well, when all that began to happen, and I had that encounter with Jesus in a, in a, in a way I'd never had, you know what emerged right after that? generosity began to come back. And I'll never forget, it was a sermon series at the church we went to. And that preacher gave a sermon series about giving and tithing. And it wasn't necessarily anything he said. It was coming into contact with God's Word. And Tessa and I said at that point on, we would give. We would give and we would give 10% and we would never drop below that. And right after that, it took about four months and our consumer debt was gone. I'm telling you to this day, and if Tess was up here, she'd tell you this even more emphatically than me. We literally don't understand it. Money was there. And since then, we have, we have now a ledger. So literally, we have a physical ledger that we keep all of our uh, budgeting. Uh, we, we, all of our bookkeeping happens in a ledger. And that first tab is our tithe. And over the years... We have had many moments where we did not know how we would do it that month, but we would give our tithe because we knew that was not going to budge because we knew the moment we gave up the tithe is the moment we stopped trusting. And so we weren't going to give that one up. So every month, literally, when Tess does, does the ledger and she does the money, she's good at this, so she goes in there, right off the top comes our tithe. I'm telling you, there are some months where it doesn't make sense. We had two more kids after those two money suckers. <laughs> two more. Two more. We didn't know how we do it. But we knew we would be committed to being generous. And it has framed and shaped everything for us. And that's very practical. You want to get practical? You write that check of 10%. That will get practical. Now, we choose to give that to the church. That has been our practice. We give it to the church family we're a part of. But I want you to understand this. God is not looking down on you, judging if 8% comes to the church and 2 goes to a foreign missionary that you've been close friends with for many years. God's not in the business of doing that. I have a feeling if you're a generous person, you're going to give even more than that to your church family. 
The point is not to convict you or guilt you into giving to East 10th. It is for you to become a generous person. Because if you become generous, ah, East 10th will be taken care of. And everyone at Calvary, they're going to be taken care of. And at Victory, they're going to be taken care of. And you just name all the churches. The goal here is to give. We choose to pool our money with many of you so that we can do more together than Tess and I could do alone. That's why we do that. Now, Tess and I benefit from your generosity. You know that. And so do other staff members. But there are missionaries that depend on us. There are local missions depending on us. There is Dominion Energy depending on us. There is Piedmont Gas depending on us. And you depend on them to sit in this room and be comfortable. You see all, how all this works. So we pool our money that way. The reason I'm long-winded on all of this is to share with you where this has been with us personally. And it has been because of an encounter with Jesus. Without that encounter, without that shift on, on right there at the line, that, that line in the sand at a divorce, without that happening nearly eight years ago, we wouldn't be where we are. And generosity was one of the first things that overflowed. So those three snapshots that we saw in Luke, well, they're very personal for us because that's what happened. So I, it, my call to you is give. Give money so that your heart can train to trust God. And now you choose with God how all that works out. I will tell you personally, not with the authority of God, but just personally, I'd like you to give a lot of that to East Temp so that we can keep moving into the future. But that's just where I am. Kind of like when Paul said, this is me, not the Lord. Okay? But do not think that you have a choice on if you are to be generous with your money. That There's no choice there. Where? The Holy Spirit will work with you on that. All right. Let's go to our next step. We'll move this one. We'll move through this one really quickly. Decide how much you can give. Give a little bit more and trust God with the outcome. So this year, Tess and I are going to give a little bit more. In 2021, we will give a little bit more. Now, I want to put something in front of you. It's just a way of helping. Please don't think that this is like, uh, this is uh, a way of judging your salvation. This is a, a, a tool to help you. And I'm going to tell you that this was the key for when Tess and I made our shift. Because at that church where that sermon series came alongside my encounter with Jesus, it was this thing I'm about to show you, that's the thing we filled out that made the turn. Because when we filled it out and signed it, we were like, oh my, we do keep our word. Here it is. It's a commitment card. I'm going to show you what it looks like online. If you go to our front page, easttemp.org, and you go to resources, on the drop-down menu, you will see commitment card. It's just a Google form. You don't have to put your name there. You just fill that out. And maybe that will help you stay committed for the next year. We have physical commitment cards at the black box in the lobby. These are tools to help you. Do they help our church know what we might be looking at for giving in the next year? Absolutely. So we would like you to fill that out. But this is a tool for your commitment. And we're in a weird place right now with COVID. So go online or get a physical card. And let that be a tool for training you to train, uh, to trust God with your money. It's a great practice. And if you've never done it, do it and watch what God will do with it. All right, let me pray for us. Father, I am really thankful that many years ago, you took care of Tess and I in a way that made all the difference. I have no doubt that story sits in this room with many other people. Something like it. So would you break us, move us, convict us, 
so that we would grow in generosity. And we will trust you with that, knowing that you own a cattle on a thousand hills. All will be well, especially when we give back to you what is already yours. So would you do that work in us? And if we need to meet Jesus, anybody listening, watching in this room needs to meet Jesus, Holy Spirit, bring them to a decision sooner than later, maybe today. We thank you for all of that in the name of him who is our Savior and King, Jesus Christ. And together we say, Amen.